0: Hey, out there, rock and rollers! Welcome to the 95th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, brought to you by your host, me, the Wolf MacB, and my partner in crime, Gary Action Jackson, from the East Coast of America. As always, and I appreciate everybody tuning in to last week's show on Alice in Chains' "Dirt" as it's about to turn 30. But I gotta be honest with you here; it was so heavy and so depressing. And the lyrical content and just thinking about what happened to Lane Staley because of that really brought me down. So I had to find something happy to talk about on this week's show. So if you you love Alice in Chains or maybe you're going through something hard and this music helps you, That's great, and I hope you listened to Episode 94 about that. But I think you'll find this show a little bit more uplifting because we're going to talk about something happy, namely The Police and Ghost in the Machine, the 1981 classic that spawned the hits. Every little thing she does is magic, Spirits in the Material World, Invisible Sun... Secret Journey, lots of great songs on there that we're going to talk about. But we first have to take care of a little business, and mainly that's to remind you that we are part of the Pantheon podcast network of shows, about 100 different music shows, but really something in there for everyone. Not everything is about rock and roll, obviously, and some people want to listen to different things. We have amazing hosts, but fantastic guests all around the board. We always like to say hi to our fellow hosts that have either been on our show or we have been on theirs. Namely, Jay Scott at The Hook Rocks out of Chicago. Namely, Tom and Zeus, the Kiss Kings of the Shout It Out Loudcast out of Greater Boston. Namely, Christy Alexander Hallberg, who has a new show, Rock Is Lit, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. You'll have to check her out. And a special thanks to Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks because it wasn't just the depressing Alice in Chains show that led me to say, let's do something happy, let's do The Police. But Paul recently had the opportunity to interview Stuart Copeland, the legendary drummer of The Police, right after his Taylor Hawkins tribute show. And Stuart was really uplifting, great interview as always. And so it inspired me to, let's, let's talk about him. He's done some great work. Let's find something we can talk about him on. So, We came to the conclusion, ghost in the machine, with everything, little things she does magic. I got to tell you guys, it always makes me happy. I'm in the car. I'm in a bad mood. That comes up. Hey, the volume goes up. A smile goes on my face. I'm starting to forget about work or my problems, whatever it is. I start bopping around. It just makes you feel good. And that's what I needed after kind of a downer week, right? So thank you to Paul and the police for giving us a little bit of inspiration here uh, on this week's show. Now, a little bit of business. Yes, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, and Pantheon is sponsoring the Nick Mason Saucerful of Secrets U.S. Tour that's going on in America as we speak. So you guys need to go check that out. But if you check out PantheonPodcast.com backslash Nick Mason, you can go and enter for a chance to win the VIP experience, which includes not only front row seats and some killer merch, but the opportunity to meet your Pantheon podcast heroes and be on one of their shows. And if you all go to Indianapolis on Friday, October 14th, You'll see us there. You'll have a chance to meet us, and I hope if you do go to that show, you'll come over and say hi, because we love meeting people who listen to the show. We love to meet fellow rock fans, and we want to hear your stories about why you love Pink Floyd, how you got into them in the first place, what was that turned you on about them, how long have you been listening to them. Please come by and check us out for that. And of course, we have to thank our incredible sponsors, RareVinyl.com. You've got to go to rarevinyl.com if you haven't already. They're based in the UK. They have over a quarter of a million items in stock, and they take incredible care of it. They've been doing this for nearly 40 years, and they ship all around the world. So if you want a rare first edition LP, if you want that European single, seven-inch single that you could never find, if you want a tour program from something you missed a way back, hey, go check it out, see if they've got it. And then you can use the code PODCAST to get 10% off, not only your first order, but every order you ever make with rarevinyl.com or EIL.com. So please go to rarevinyl.com. You're looking for something special? My guess is they have it, they can get it to you, they get it to you in great condition, mint condition stuff, classic stuff, vintage stuff, Everything the collector wants at rarevinyl.com. Use the code PODCAST. You save 10%. And please make sure you download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We love learning about how people came in touch with our show, why they like the show. And you can tell us what you want to hear us do. Just reach out to us on Twitter at Ugly underscore or at ActionJack72. But now back to the police, ghost, and machine. You know, Jackson and I are children of the MTV generation. So to catch our attention back in the day, you had to have videos, and while Synchronicity may have been one of the first albums we ever bought, I think was the first one Jackson ever bought with his own money, Spirits in the Material World and Every Little Thing She Does is Magic, those were on MTV too. They had videos, you could see those on MTV. MTV launched in August of 1981, and this album comes out in October of 1981. So you know that this was popular, and that's our first introduction to The Police, although I would say the proper one was synchronicity. But this is a part of what was in the air when we were little kids, and we'll never forget it. So that's why we want to dive into it today. Not only the album, of course, but the B-sides, the videos. You know what we do. We get to in-depth in it. We get our own personal take on how we interacted with this back in the day and what it means to us today. So let's do that right now. Let's dive into Ghost and Machine by The Police here on The Wolf. So before we get into our topic for this week, Jackson, we got to plug this amazing opportunity that we're a part of for Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets again, man. I mean, this is just so cool. I'm just so proud that that we get to be a part of it. You know?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we get to go to the show that's coming up in Indy in October, and uh, we're going to get to interview Gary and Guy pretty soon. And yeah, it's great. I can't. I I'm really psyched to be part of Pantheon to be part of this. Uh, to be a cog in the wheel and kind of promote this whole deal, get it out to to our listeners.
0: Yeah, and for those uh, who are just maybe listening now, we are part of the Pantheon podcast family. It's a network of about 100 great shows about music of really all genres. You can check out pantheonpodcast.com. But if you go to pantheonpodcast.com backslash Nick Mason, you can go and register to win a very exclusive VIP experience to see the band, to see Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets on their fall tour of America this September and October. So go check that out, or you go to Nick Mason's Facebook page, you can go to his Twitter, wherever. But check out what you can get. I mean, you can get a pair of front row seats to the show. That's amazing. And you know they've got a cool light show, as Pink Floyd mm-hmm. has always had uh, over the decades, right?
1: Well, you you basically saw them in the front row at Royal Albert.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. I was I was essentially on the stage. uh, Mm. And and you can hear about that on episode 75. It was fantastic. And you can hear me talking to to, uh, Gary and Guy about that. And and you'll probably have better seats than we will. Uh, but That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. Because we're going to be in Indy as many Pantheon podcasters will be at some of the shows around the nation. But not only do you win a pair of front row tickets, you get a guitar pick Mm -hmm. necklace that was carved from drum cymbals played by Nick himself. That is really cool that's not just like the laminate and the lanyard which you get you know for everything whether you get this you know any kind of vip event you're going to get one of those right Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a real neat piece of memorabilia that you can't just get
1: at the record shop yeah can you imagine that conversation wait what do you got there well let me tell you it's a pick okay but it's made out of a drum symbol, all right, that was actually played by Nick Mason on stage. Okay, yeah, you're right. Not many people have one of those. That's
0: for sure, that's for sure. And they give you a nice selection of, uh, of curated exclusive VIP merch, but you also get to get in uh, and do a little crowd-free shopping at the merch tent so you can get mm-hmm. all the stuff that you want. And, and if you want, you can come be on our show or one of the Pantheon shows uh, and be interviewed as a guest on a Pantheon podcast.
1: And you know you, it's gonna, you know you want it to be this one. Come on. Let's yeah, be honest with each of other. Of course.
0: And if you're going to the Indianapolis show, guys, let us know. We want to mm-hmm. see you. We want to meet you. We're going to be there. Uh, I don't know exactly where we'll be that be yet. The details are still kind of rolling in. As we're recording this, it's less than a month away, and we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. Go to PantheonPodcast.com backslash Nick Mason. Register to win those. You've got you got to try. If you don't, play you can't win uh and anyway buy tickets buy tickets to the indie show we would love to see some of our listeners get to know you please come say hi we're, we're totally looking forward to that absolutely this week i chose the album ghost in the machine by the police
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: because the last album review we did jackson was dirt by allison chains ahead of its 30th anniversary big album for us in college big seller, after Nirvana's Nevermind, I'd say the kind of epitome of grunge, the biggest record really that there was at the time. After listening to that several times, and then talking about it on the show, I was pretty depressed. (laughs) More so than usual. Yeah. And I was just down and I felt bad and like, I need something happy, you know, to make me feel life again. and. The song, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, to me is the greatest uplifter in the whole world. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you like the police. I don't care if you like rock music. If you hear that song, it automatically puts you in a good mood. So I said, you know what? We're gonna review that album.
1: This is what I need right now, man. Because
0: I cannot think of <laughs> down in a hole burner. <laughs> <laughs> killing me. I can't do that. I just that's just not who I am, you know. So not to mention, our Pantheon podcast brother, Paul Stevenson, had an amazing interview with Stuart Copeland.
1: Yeah, that was huge. Uh,
0: right after the Taylor Hawkins tribute, which he was a part of. And, of course, Stuart's, look, he's very smart. He's very articulate. And he's not afraid to uh, throw some jabs here and there. So he's always a good interview. But Paul did an amazing job. It's a fantastic show. I definitely check out Vintage Rock Pod uh, with Paul Stevenson and, and hear that interview if you can. So now, yeah, between between Paul, our good friend Paul Stevenson, providing some some inspiration there, and just the need to be happy, I thought this would be fun because we did Synchronicity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, within the first couple months of our show, was that show number nine or something like that?
1: Show number ten? That was way long yeah. time ago. Absolutely. I mean, that was a huge record for me. First record I ever bought first introduction to the police uh, so yeah that it's still one of my favorite records of all time
0: and so it makes sense that we would then go backwards right okay the police mm-hmm. only made five records we did their last one their biggest and as paul pointed out on the show the police are interesting in that every record they did outsold the previous one and then they broke up so there's there's no tusk after rumors <laughs> right <laughs> there's no long run after hotel california mm-hmm. there's there's just synchronicity and that's it sayonara we walk out the door right which in retrospect is is kind of amazing but then when you when you see how much infighting there was and and how much bad blood there could be especially in the studio it's kind of amazing synchronicity even got made
1: in the first place there's probably a good if you really went back and and dug down to the bottom it was probably mostly a sting solo record anyway with the two of them just kind of fighting for air. And I think this was kind of, this may have been the beginning of the end here, From because what, what I've been reading about this record, it was a lot of sting just saying, this is what we're going to do. And then the other two saying, well, what do you mean this is what we're going to do? No, we, we want our own parts in here. You can't just do everything on the Casio 3000 right. and leave us in the dust. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, is this the redheaded stepchild of the police catalog
2: i don't well uh,
0: that that's it, it depends on what you consider the redheaded stepchild because okay. this did have three pretty big hits on it whereas mm-hmm. the others each had to a, a piece if you go back and look at every breath you take the singles the greatest hits album that came out i want to say in 86 or so after mm-hmm. the police had, had come out uh, had broken up, and they had the bastardized version of Don't Stand So Close To Be On There. It was two songs from the first three albums each, and three songs from the last two, Ghost of the Machine and Synchronicity. So, in a way, it's a step forward beyond the others, but then you're right with all the horns, and stuff, lots and lots. But I mean, they always had a little reggae. But now there's a lot of reggae on
1: this well, record, right? And, and my thought was, if you were a if you were a police fan from day one, we were not. I understand that. Right. So we look we look at this totally different. But if you're a police fan from from day one, I'm thinking you get this. You get this record and say, wait, what is this now? This isn't. This isn't the police. I don't know what this is, and it's, I don't like it. it. It's not the kind of punk ska, correct? Right, kind correct.
0: of influence in it. And Summer apparently complained through a lot of the recording of this, like, this is not the police mm-hmm. sound. This is not the three of us together. This is not what the first three were all about. Now, they do have a new producer on this one. Right. Hugh Padgett, mm-hmm. uh, who's a fantastic producer and has worked with a lot of people, uh, kind of made his name with, uh, I think, Peter Gabriel was kind of one of the... One of the bigger ones, and I think he did some work with Phil Collins as well.
1: He's worked with a lot of people over the years, yeah. So, this was really a deb. So, they had the same producer, Nigel Gray, for the mm-hmm. first three records, right? They swap him out. They get a new sound. Hugh had the idea to put them, even though they were in the same studio, put them in different rooms. So they kind of had their own sound. But that also could have been to keep them away from each other so they would not kill each other or throw things. Which, I mean, it makes sense. And I get it that you want the live feel. But again, this everything is changing. Apparently with the with the album previous to this... Zenyatta Madata. Zenyatta Madata, yes. That was apparently a just a grueling four-week, get in there, hammered out. The record company is on your back the entire time. This one, they say, forget it. We're not doing this. And this is where it's good to be the king, because you get to go to the Air Studios Ooh. in Bonserrat for six weeks. Nice. And, yeah, exactly. Oh, you know what? I think I can do that. That's fine. And really, they really had a chance to explore new stuff and yeah i mean i think i think it works i've really never listened to this record all the way through i mean i've you know picked out bits and pieces of it but i mean i like it it's definitely different and th- you can definitely tell they're ready now to blast off to something even bigger it, it, really because to me honestly i can see ghost of the machine coming
0: from Zenyata mandata but okay. if I listen to "Ghost of the Machine," especially towards the end of it, I can't say, "Oh yeah, synchronicities!" Right after this, I honestly, I like, I don't necessarily see the forest for the trees, to be honest. Huh. With I don't know if they did either. But Definitely, it's interesting yeah. Yeah, that um, I'm sorry that Hugh did work with Spando Ballet, of course, with our new friend Gary Kemp at some point. So. Have to talk to him about that guy pratt must know that must know him because apparently guy pratt knows absolutely everybody that's what it sounds like it's, yeah. <laughs> their show is so much better than ours i mean uh, please listen to our show show and the rock on tours but if you can only listen to one <laughs>
1: See, but, it, but it doesn't even count though because like the, i was listening to the, them talk to john taylor right Duran Duran and it's something like blah 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 and blah 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 and we were at this party one night and you were there right and Gary's like oh yeah I was there I was sitting on the couch with so-and-so yeah I can't do that I wasn't at that party so it doesn't count I was eight in America yeah exactly (laughs) I wasn't hanging around at the cool party with all the cool kids it's a different show that that's that's for sure hi I'm Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London
0: All right, so now they're they're in a beautiful place, thanks to British tax laws. You have to get out of the UK if you're going to make a lot of money. And Mm -hmm. you can go to one of the British territories to go do that tax-free and and enjoy yourself. Six weeks down there, that sounds right. And you're right, they they were in different rooms, which they did use on Synchronicity, which they had to do (laughs) because of their personalities. Also want to talk about the album cover. Okay. Which is very interesting, and somebody calls it, you know, one of the greatest top fifty album covers ever. I don't know if it was VH1 or whoever it was, hmm. but it's interesting in that it's kind of an LED, the red LED lights of their three faces, Sting in the middle with the spiky hair, stuart with the chin and the the combed over hair, and that Andy kind of just just generic, just I guess, <laughs> <laughs> compared to the other two. But that that represented them. And it's the first one that was in English, right? I mean, I think it was Miles Copeland, who was their manager and Stewart's brother, obviously, who would come up with the names Outlandos de and Regatta de Blanc, and he would come out with these odd names. So finally, they do one in English, Ghost in the Machine. Which I guess is based on a book that
1: I, I think that we both have read, you know, cover to cover. Very yes, very familiar with the subject matter. Absolutely, Arthur Kostler's uh-huh. *Ghost in the Machine*,
0: which right. uh, you know, Sting was an avid reader of his, and I know you and I used to trade Kostler books, you know, when we were in college.
1: Oh, constantly.
0: B- back and forth, and the synchronicity album was apparently inspired by his *The Roots of Coincidence*, which mentions Jung's theory of synchronicity. Yes. You're too smart, guys. You're just too smart. Uh, You're lucky that you're good-looking and you had catchy tunes because you could have been buried in America for being too smart. Uh, But, I mean, I think it's it's kind of about how – the human form, the spirit are two different things. And it's like the mind and the spirit are working against the body in some ways. And yet the body kind of reacts to
1: what this the spirit does. The ghost, I I don't know. It's just a cool title, if you ask me. Yeah. And, and it is. I mean, again, we, you knew picking this thing up, this was going to be different. It didn't follow the first three with the wacky title. This was something new.
0: That's right. And so we start off with what was a fairly big hit for them. And that's spirits in the material world Mm -hmm. cool way to start off the album and
1: one that I guess Sting had had for five or six years right Right. correct like he had written it back in I think 76 Mm -hmm. and I think this was the first time he ever messed around with a with a synth and I think right off the bat this is where I think he wanted the guitar part in quotation marks to be the synth and Summers was like we're doing what now no I play the guitar the guitar goes on the record I'm the one that does this. And I guess he had to really fight to even get on this track.
0: Right. And they kind of blended them together. So it's mm-hmm. it's Andy doing his, and it's a very reggae chord, right? It, mm-hmm. It's quick and, and he pulls right off so you, it doesn't ring. It's just got kind of, rah, 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 yeah. rah, rah, and, and, it, and it doubles the synth. I hear a lot of synth. I yeah, can I mean, pick you, out Andy if I have to, but I hear yeah, a lot of synth.
1: I was going to say, if you told me there was no guitar on there, I would believe you because it, yeah, it's buried way down deep. And I'm sure Summer's you know he got to play on it but it, like this is it okay mm. yeah there's a lot of piano yeah uh, and synth on this album there are a lot of horns which is not very Punk
0: it was not very police it was not very the first three albums and I think that's where a lot of their problems their interband band problems were coming from it's like you're changing our
1: sound right and how are we going to produce it live anyway right right and then, and you've got, you know, now you've got the sacks. It's not, it's, it's only a little bit, but you're still throwing in. Again, who's going to play that live? We're, we're starting. Yeah, we're starting to get into the Beatles territory now, where it's, you know, there's no way this could happen. And again, you're getting away from, like you said before, the three of them just thrashing out and and playing. This is this is more nuanced. This is more, I guess, I don't want to say more adult, but maybe more adult. I don't know.
0: It's a composition. It's yeah. not just a rock song. It's yeah. it's a
1: composition.
0: And, you know, you can see them in the video. They're all in the one room in the studio. Mm-hmm. And it's got that killer bass. Boom, 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 yes. boom, 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 boom. Amazing. It's awesome bass. I don't know if Sting's playing it because he's not playing it in the video. And there's a guy who was huh. credited on the album who had a little bit of an interesting name. Let's see if I can get it right. Danny Quatrochi. He definitely played bass on Demolition Man, but then there's additional bass he played on the album. Okay. And I don't know if that means Sting did play on this, and I don't know if he didn't. All I know is the bass sticks out in a big way on most all of these songs, which wouldn't shock you if Sting wrote
1: most all of the right. songs,
0: but there's something about that bass that really is special. And so I, I, and eventually he could play it live, but I, I wonder if he really did
2: record it or not.
1: And and who knows too? I mean, when you're in the studio for that long, if you've got, because I know looking at other albums, a lot of times it's like if you've got people hanging around, you're like, just pick that, pick up a guitar, pick up, just do something, mm-hmm. and then then you say, oh wait, that works. Just have, just play it like you did before on the recording. So yeah, who knows what was happening there?
0: Who knows? Who knows? But he did in the video. You can see Sting hit the keyboard a little bit because it has that nice piano part. Yeah. in the middle of it. You know, the, the, the police don't have do a lot of guitar solos, like we think about the Stones or Led Zeppelin, right. or the, the people who we like, ACDC, things like that. There may be some guitar interludes, but usually they kind of avoided that in their kind of punk sky influences. Mm-hmm. and And there would be sounds in there, and there might be a bridge or a break, but there's not kind of that traditional solo and in the place of what would be a guitar solo was this nice little piano bit and sting is playing that in the video
1: Mm -hmm. what i really like is i like copeland's one note transition into the into the uh chorus where he just you go pop and then spirits in the material and then back
0: yeah He's so good. He's so mm-hmm. good. And and mm-hmm. I think he knew it
1: too. And uh, we that, can get it to him yeah, and Sting later. <laughs> that, I think that was always his problem is he describes himself as a spoiled brat. He was going to do what he wanted to do on the drum kit. You weren't going to tell him what to do. If he felt like he felt, if it felt right, he was going to put it in. He wanted, you know, if there was less drum, he wanted more. Yeah. Just, just, I think he thought of it as not, I'm not here to keep the beat. I'm here to play my own piece. And you guys fill in with me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Too bad they couldn't always see eye to eye on that. But, you know, it's an amazing song. You know, it turned out, I think it's great. A cool way to start the album. It was actually... It was the second single in the U.S. It was the third in the U.K. And I think they had a couple of different B-sides. One was Low Life. was a B-side. Okay. Andy said that uh, neither of them, neither he nor Stuart, really liked (laughs) them. I liked that (laughs) one. And and the other was Flexible Strategies, which is an instrumental. uh, And I think they recorded that at Le Studio because they did some session work at Le Studio in Quebec, which is where Rush had made, I think, both Moving Pictures and Uh, Signals, which we reviewed not that long ago. Okay. So yeah, Low Life is a little tinny Andy guitar. We hear some sax. It's not a bad one. It could have maybe made the album like a side two thing. Flexible Strategies is like a funk jam and it's, it's long. I mean, it's over five minutes. It's got Andy doing some souling. It's not very melodic, but it's kind of very him and the police, I think. And, of course, there's more horns on it because they were so mm-hmm. into horns at this point. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's an instrumental, you know, B-side at best is mm-hmm. kind of the way that I would I would put that one. All right. So that's track one, opening up, short one, only three minutes long.
1: Then we get into the sublime, every little thing she does is magic. Yeah. And this, this does not, I mean, this is a classic police song. I mean, everybody knows it, but it's, this does not sound like anything they've done before. I don't think it's just, it's, it's, it's a ballad. I mean, it's a great song, but I mean, I could, again, I could see if you were listening to this record in 1981, you would say, what is this now? What are they doing? Yeah, it, I, I mean, I think it's a happy song. The, the, the <laughs>
0: ladies tend to really like this song. Correct. And you know, in 1976, he wrote it like in the back of a truck on an old Casio. He's like, oh, okay, that's a song, but he didn't know yeah. quite how to put it together. He did another take at the studio and kind of put it together, and they said, okay, now we're gonna take it down to to air in Montserrat. And of course, Copeland and Summers didn't like it. You know, it's too soft. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, it's for girls, right? It's it's not a cool song. Plus, Sting brought in this piano player, uh, Jean Rousseau, who did like 12 different takes, and Andy was pissed. Andy couldn't stand the fact that the guy was there. He thought he was being pushy. And, you know, like we talked about before, guitar players who like to own that middle mm-hmm. frequency, suddenly there's something else kind of in that middle frequency Right. taking his space. I think Stewart was kind of like, nah, he's not such a bad guy. He's a lot like us in a lot of ways. But Andy's like, no BS. Because they do overdub and overdub and overdub on it. But his bass? does he use a bow on that bass? i mean he does
1: in the video that's and and i was thinking that same thing i've got that note it doesn't sound like it it sounds like he's plucking it but in the yeah in the video he is playing it with a bow so i don't know but i mean again it's you know did he just do that for effect into the way it looked cool in the video i don't know i don't
0: know either and the thing is that video and the spirits video were filmed in the same spot, I think, on the same day, because they're wearing the same clothes,
2: Could you have been, yeah.
0: and, and you know? video was still very new. I mean, this came out in fall of 81. MTV premiered August 1st of 81. Now, obviously, they, people had been making videos for years before there was an MTV. But suddenly, there's a place where you can show all these things. And I remember seeing the Every Little Thing You Do, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic video on MTV quite a bit before synchronicity and even a little bit after synchronicity and every breath you take hit mm. hit you know
1: but if you ever want to if you ever want to see an encapsulation of the sting Stuart koflin relationship it's this video it's there yeah. in the studio and he copeland is just messing with the messing with the the levels on the board uh-huh. i mean i they're probably not even worth anything like i doubt they were actually recording at that point in time and sting is just slapping his hand and, and copeland won't stop because he's that guy he's that, he's guy. that guy he's not going to fall in line he's not going to do what you say just because you said it he's going to poke the bear every chance he gets that's right <laughs> that's
0: exactly right no no look at them you know he's moving the things and Sting's slapping him and he's looking at him even right. when they're dancing around in the studio Sting's dancing with Andy he's not dancing with Stuart like right that. Stuart's the right Bane of his existence as far Correct. as Gordon Sumner is concerned you know but when they're hopping back and forth and they're putting each other's hats on their heads and stuff like that I remember doing that with somebody yeah. when I was a kid. I can't remember who it was, but I remember a buddy doing, oh, look how much fun they're having. This is great, you know? And they're not just in the control room or in the studio. They actually go out on the island, mm-hmm. and they're on the back of a truck playing with some of the locals there. Some They've got some kids with steel drums next to Stewart's Toms, you know? And they're you know singing and playing that and you see them smiling well at least you see Stuart and andy smiling <laughs> i don't know that you ever see sting mr serious smile throughout the whole thing but you gotta believe that at the end where's the eo eo uh-huh. eo that's iconic it is it is huge it's distinctively the police and if he just comes out and goes eo they will all 100,000 people will answer him at the same time. Now, Stuart's right, cymbal work while he's doing that EO, the drum work on that bit, is awesome. But it's overlooked. Say,
1: the the rip that he goes into right before that, you, you know, the, he, he has that little fill. I mean, yeah, that's just fantastic. Yeah, he's great. He's great on the song. Yeah, I don't
0: know if he added that or if Sting forced him to add that it was apparently done in one take because they did not like the demo he did in in canada so one take he comes in no this is crummy this this sucks let me show you how bad it is to play it and then he puts his drums over it and he puts his part over one take for both of them and he's like oh god damn it this is a
1: great song <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the thing is i understand that you want to you want to hate sting sometimes because you can't have everything like, you can't be really smart and really good looking and really talented. Yes. But unfortunately, you can. And so, you know, I could see how if you were one of these other two guys, you'd be like, oh, this isn't a very good song. But well, yeah, it really is. Yeah, he really knows what he's doing.
0: It really and it's a song about, you know, he doesn't have the girl yet. He's he's still admiring her from afar. He's he's trying to get up the nerve to to ask her out or something like that, which kind of is a foreshadow to the whole every breath you take, where you're kind of watching her <laughs> through the window or whatever. You know? so, so Sting's a bit of a stalker, I think.
1: It, he could be, yes. It has one of the greatest lines, though, ever. It's a big enough umbrella, but it's always me that ends up getting wet. And I, right. don't, I don't know where you can always use that. You're just like, you know what? Yeah. Ah, happen again. All right, here we go. Yeah, and I think to
0: rhyme something with magic... The only thing he could come up with was tragic. And apparently, there's another elag- elagic or something like that, which means a fish that's. Elagic or something. I, yeah, I something don't know. What see, no, yeah. I don't even know what that means, dude. You stick <laughs> to tragic. Come on. Man. <laughs> but Copeland admitted, and he admitted as much on Paul's show on Vintage Rock, vintage rock Pod. Sting sees himself as a composer, more mm. than a singer, more than a musician, more than a whatever. So these are his babies these songs are his legacy and what he'll be remembered for for hundreds of years from now which is true i suppose and so he's squishing it he's like this is my vision this is mine and he's like it's not like sting was wrong or couldn't arrange drums it's just i'm not a session musician i am a member of this band we are all members of this band and i'm coming in to do my parts and after i left this band and before i was in this band The bass player didn't come over to me and tell me what to play, right? Right, It wasn't curved air. The bass player doesn't say play this. You know, when when I left to go do my other stuff, that just doesn't happen. So he, you know, it's like it's not that he was
1: bad. It's just he's very Keith Moon, I think, in his approach where the drums are they're their own thing they're not there to they're not there to support they are there to shine right you know and he's
0: got this kind of mutual admiration thing going with Neil Peart of Rush Mm -hmm. you know they're copying each other they're learning from each other they're in the same studio some of the time you know and and I don't think he gets the praise that Neil does partly because he doesn't have as great a body of work at least not with the police and partly because Sting gets all the credit for
1: the police correct yeah, but if you but if you go back and listen, he's doing he's doing more with less, and it's it's just it's incredible to hear him play, especially when they really let him off the chain. There's a couple of tracks on this record where he doesn't he kind of has to just play the, as Carl Palmer would say, four on the floor. Right. But when you let it, when you let him off the chain, it's fantastic.
0: And this is a huge huge hit for them. I mean, it went to number one in the UK after Invisible Sun, the first single went to number two in the u.s it hit number one mainstream rock number three billboard top 100 but top 10 in norway new zealand number one in the netherlands here second in in italy number one in ireland number one in canada number two in australia i mean this is huge worldwide sensation a huge huge hit for them
1: i wonder i wonder how many people in 83 went out and bought synchronicity thinking that this track might be on it because you get those two things mashed up together like this big album comes out by the police oh yeah the police they had that other song i bet this is on no not so much
0: and in the uk they gave it flexible strategies which was the the b-side uh for spirits in the material world in the u.s and in the U.S., we got Shambel, which, you know, I bought this cool little box set called uh, The Police. Every move you make, the studio recordings. Okay. It basically had their five records. And then it has this Flexible Strategies kind of CD that has, you know, the B-sides on it. Shambel is actually a pretty darn good song. It's another instrumental, so it's obviously a B-side. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like classic police to me. I mean, it really does. And I I almost wish they put lyrics to it because it's it's over five minutes and I actually really like it as a B-side
1: okay unfortunately in the United States we we've and we've said this before we really kind of miss out on all that like I know in other countries you could go and buy singles but we just never could it not it not in mass not easily in mass here like if you had a cool record store in a cool city you probably could but like in Main Street USA you weren't finding this stuff
0: yeah it's just eventually album-oriented radio and AOR rock just kind of made buying the record the most important thing it's not that you couldn't get singles it's not that singles weren't important what's important for a is to get it on the radio,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And, and radio play can not only make you money, but then help you sell records. And certainly lots of people bought singles and jukeboxes with 45s were still a thing back at this point. It's just not as big a deal as it is, I feel like in Britain.
2: Hi, this is Carl Palmer and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf.
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on. Because the third track here, Invisible Sun, all right, now here's a little bit change of pace. We talk about this. The third track, sometimes first track's got to be good. Second track's got to take it up a notch. Third one, you got to shift gears a little bit, and this certainly does.
1: Yeah, th- this slows way <laughs> down. I, I actually don't, I actually like this song a lot better now that I've listened to this record a couple of times straight through. I know this was a single, and I've listened to it on its own. But in in the progression of the album, I think it gets a lot better. Well, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, it's it's kind of mellow and
0: brooding, but it's yeah. not a downer song. He, he wrote this while he was living in Ireland in Peter O'Toole's house, apparently. But during the time of what they call the Troubles in the UK, mm-hmm. for Irish Americans like you and me, it was like, the time those imperialistic British bastards were all over our land and our people. But, you know, and, and this during, you know, like the hunger strikes that were going on and yeah. prisoners in Belfast. So Sting wanted to write something that's like, I know it's dark and gray and it looks awful, but, but there's a silver lining. There's hope. You know, mm-hmm. so like you may not be able to see it, but there's a sun out there and it's giving its heat to everyone. And I think that's what it's about. I didn't realize that growing up. I just thought it was a cool song. Well.
1: <laughs>
0: but, uh, you know, it's got that, oh, mm-hmm. oh. and it's it's it, and then the, the chorus is is more full. Andy does do a little bit of a solo on this. Uh-huh. One. It's, it's not crazy, but, you know, for Stuart, who grew up in Beirut he's like this is about Beirut because at the time Beirut was getting bombed out and just Mm -hmm. you know it's a haven for terrorism and all that and he'd grown up there and I'm like well yes you grew up there Stuart because your father was in the CIA (laughs) doing things that may not have been good for the people of Beirut but they were good for America (laughs) and the UK I'm sure he doesn't put that part in there
1: well I mean you know it's selective memory
0: right yeah but I'd never seen the video before because it was banned from the BBC. and, and I saw this, that, yeah. This was their lead single. I mean, it went to number two in the UK. They did not release it as a single in the US. And, and so it was banned on BBC. And I guess MTV just kind of followed suit, maybe? I I don't know if it was or wasn't played on MTV.
1: I know I never saw it on there. I can't imagine this was this would have been a big hit even if they put the video out, because it is such a, it's such a slow track, especially for the, for us radio. We want hat. We want every little thing. We don't want invisible sun, but I do like how it's, it's kind of dark and foreboding, but then yeah, it does pick up and it does kind of give you the, the message of hope there in the middle. Cause yeah, if it was like that the whole way, this would, this would be a rough song to get through.
0: No doubt. No doubt. I and mean, it's, it's in black and white. It's showing some warden torn stuff. It's showing some battle tanks going through the streets of Belfast. And then you see a little bit of silhouetted sting. You don't really see the other guys. So, mm-hmm. I mean, look, great song classic. Ended up on Every Breath You Take, the singles. But was not released as a single in America. Uh, so that was when I really got to know it was on Every Breath You Take, the singles. I'm like, oh, this is a good one. You know, I really like this one. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we move along to song four, Hungry For You, in parentheses, J'ai Toujours Femme de toi.
1: Yeah, there's something wrong with this. I must have had a bunked up copy because I couldn't understand what he was saying at the beginning. It's yeah. weird. It's
0: ridiculous. You make a song in French, I will always be hungry for you is the translation. And you sing it in French.
1: I don't know anything about that. You know, Stop trying to be so fancy pants.
0: Exactly, Mr. Smarty. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, is it because the first three albums were kind of the names were in French? And since you you changed the name of the album to something in English, now you got to do a song all in French to appease the frogs? I don't yeah. know. Hey,
1: I'm still smart.
0: And the bass is leading the way here. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's very upbeat. It's it's chugging along. But I, I don't know what you're saying, man. And, you know, if I don't, I'm going to take it as disrespect,
1: you know. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Using big words, and I'm going to take that as disrespect. You know, it takes
0: under three minutes,
1: so it doesn't he, last that it long. Is good, it is a good song, and for me, because I don't understand French, it, I take it more as like an instrumental. And so, like, you know, his his voice is just in there to kind of move the track mm-hmm. along. But it is it is a good beat. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I like it for for the, the music part of it absolutely
0: that's right mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. Yeah. It, it, it's got a good thing going to it it's just you know it's in the wrong language so <laughs> moving on to demolition man demolition man had a richer history than i guess i realized but this is the longest song on the album by far most of the songs are under four some are under three and uh, and this is
1: about six minutes long so they could stretch out a little bit here on this one well they made a whole movie about it i mean come on yeah yeah We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that originally, I guess Sting wrote this, and then Grace Jones did it originally. Very, very, album, yeah. very different. Very different. Very different,
0: yeah. And and Andy heard it, is like, well, that sucks. We can do better than that, better in one take. And I think they did, you know, <laughs> in about one take. And he gets... I mean, it, you know, it, it gets into a jam here. It's a little bending from Andy. The big bass is boom, right up front there throughout, like, a lot of this. But Andy and the horn section get a little time to, to play back and forth a little bit on this yeah. one in the middle, you know. Yeah, has I a little it, island flavor.
1: I mean, I yeah. wouldn't call it reggae, but, I mean, right. you could tell they were influenced by where they were here, right? Yeah, and it's interesting to, to see how—I I w- would have been interested to see Sting's take on— grace jones's version of this just because i mean you wrote it and then you kind of you know give it to her and then she does something else with it it's like oh you like it you don't like it what was your take on it i mean obviously they he liked the song enough to re-record it on his own with his own band i would just be interested to see how he how he liked that i mean i think grace jones is just you know odd for odds sake right yeah that's exactly
0: yeah She's, she's she's more of a model uh, and a personality than she right. is a
1: performance celebrity. art yeah, correct exactly,
0: yeah. yeah but that Danny Quatrochi or Quatroche, did do the bass uh, on this one I think Sting re-recorded it because they were going to make a movie out of it. And when we were in college, Demolition Man with Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Stallone came out. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, well, no, don't put the police version in there. I might have to share that with you know, somebody. Cool. I'll just re-record it since I wrote it anyway. And then you can give it all to me. Actually, I, I did see him play this. When I saw him in Orlando in 1996 as a solo artist, Huh. He played He played Demolition Man. It was kind of part of his set at that point. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It had been a bit of a, a hit for him, you know, when the movie came out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like some of the reggae on here, it's like, I, I just think about Madness. Remember Madness, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Our House. Yeah, Our House was the big one in America, but yeah. One Step Beyond was kind of their... They're big. It was. It's very reggae and ska influence. Yeah. You know, it's just I, I hear a little bit of madness with these guys in this, but it's one Sting played a lot. I don't know how much the police did it. I don't think they did it on their reunion tour, but but Sting held on to it for a while.
1: Did you see that reunion tour? Three times. Okay, and so I'm guessing that it was mostly just like the big hits.
0: Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, big hits and stuff from Synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You you knew every song. They didn't go. Okay. They didn't dive too deep. you know. Right. I mean, for a non-police fan, there might have been deep tunes like, I was driven to tears, a huge hit. No, but it's a fantastic police song. You're right. Okay. Uh, so Lonely is my favorite police song. Uh, it wasn't a huge hit for them. It's not Roxanne. You know, it, it's not that. It wasn't on The Greatest Hits, but in the police catalog, it is. So, yeah, you, if you know this songs, yeah, it, it was... It was everything you knew, yeah, and and a lot of stuff from Synchronicity, no doubt. Okay. So, and I'm glad I saw that. Now, all songs so far have been written by Sting. That's side one. So, the first five songs all written by Sting on his own, and as has been precedent, all the singles were written by Sting (laughs) on his own, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. sometimes the b side. Was also written by Singh because he doesn't want to have a hit and then put the Andy Summers song on the B side and give Andy half the money of the single, right? <laughs> if it's going to be a hit, he wants all the money to himself, right? But so to me, side one is awfully good. Side two is disjointed to me, it's a little weird to me in a lot of spots.
1: Well, I mean, here's where you get into. You were saying all songs written by Sting. Here's where you know you've got you've got a Sting, Stuart Copeland. You've got the you've got Omega Man from Andy Summers, which you know is going to be a uh, a weird ride. And then the last one, Darkness, is Copeland by himself. So yeah, now we're we're getting into not just Sting but other people too. But it's good because I like to hear what everybody else is doing in the band. Absolutely, but I mean they they're way into the horns here. We start off
0: side two with too much information it yep. starts with horns it's got a little odd
2: uh, guitar from
0: from andy it's got the ho go going on it's to me it's just busy it, it's just
1: it's like too much information for my ears <laughs> yeah I have, i've got upbeat with the horn intro guitar sounds scattered but but summers is just wailing on it and then the, the drum track is just lame like there's no anybody could have been playing that and then you kind of wonder too like was did Copeland play this or did they just kind of program a drum machine or get somebody else? Cause if, if, if he was playing, he was reading a book or something at the same time, because he was, it just sounds like he was super bored.
0: Yeah. I don't love this one. Uh, yeah. And especially as it goes on, it's, it's, it's not quite four minutes, but it goes on. The horns kind of start to drone for mm-hmm. me a little bit, you know, and I'm yeah. like, eh, that's not, that's less than awesome. If you ask me, but too much information or TMI, uh, you know, is, is something that we all kind of say these days and I wonder what they would have thought in 1981 if they understood what the internet was going to be like right you know (laughs) or social media that kind of thing because part of too much information we're at the dawn of the computer age and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you don't just get three channels you can have 30 channels whoa 30 channels that's too much information like well now there's 8000 channels you know so it's it's going to overload your circuits there of your brain but i i don't know i just, I just to me it's it's not
1: a great song although it's upbeat it, it, it's not a great song to start off the second side with. Yeah, and it's it's one where, it, it, you know, you always talk about ones that you could skip. This is probably the one that you could skip on this record fairly easily. Absolutely. And the next one, Rehumanize Yourself, in my opinion, yeah. probably should have been the first song on the second side. That uh, I think that would have worked better, yes.
0: You know, very upbeat. It's fast. Lots of bass, of course, uh, mm-hmm. on this one. And I guess Stuart had written the whole thing, music and lyrics, and then this thing said, no, no, these lyrics don't work.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: I'm going to write the lyrics. And so that's. Okay.
1: So now think about that for a minute though. And and you're talking about sting being a composer and then him coming in and them saying, this is crappy. We're going to do something else on top of it. Or in, instead of that for the part, I mean, the same thing with Copeland, like he comes in, he's like, I've got this great song. You know, this is, eh, it would be great if we cut the lyrics out. What do you mean? If we cut the lyrics out, that's half the song. So I think that's the thing is you have to, you have to be ready for constructive criticism. And how do you take that? Right,
0: yeah, absolutely. And, and look, Sting's proven himself as a lyricist with hits, right? But also the songs—maybe they're not hits, but they're deep, and you know they're not afraid to get a little political. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll see that through, you know, side two here. I'm um, talking about a police needs a gun to keep it warm. Talk about the National Front, which is a very white and right-wing group mm-hmm. that was kind of gaining prominence in in England at the time. So it's a, it's a bit political, but again, the, the droning horns. Through it, I, I don't love and it. It's it's just a little over three minutes, but it can even feel a little bit long just because of, of the unnecessary horns
1: here. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, yeah, you have a new toy, and I'm going to play with this all the time. We're putting horns on every track. Okay, hold on. Stop. We're not doing that. And I guess
0: Sting's playing the sax on mm-hmm. these tracks. I don't know if the, where the other horns might come from. Uh, maybe they're pumped in, because like, everybody played a little bit different synthesizer at some point on this album right yeah. so they're embracing technology just like their buddies rush were embracing technology with signals which would come out the next year so i don't i don't love i like the song and that it's upbeat it's kind of trying to be a positive like you have to be a better human being kind of thing but more horns like that's nah, enough of that for me as far as i'm <laughs> concerned i don't know but one world not three
1: again with the horns
0: it's but it's it's a reggae tune i mean this is yes very reggae
1: yeah, and, and it's interesting because that symbol intro at the beginning is very close to every little thing. You almost would think for a second they were going to do it again, and then they go into the rest of the track with that, that okay, we're doing this again. Yeah, and Andy's just doing
0: the reggae chord thing. Man. Mm-hmm. He, he's not flying up and down the neck. He's just, he's just hitting those chords, big bass up front again, and it's a bit political, but it's not like in a lecturing kind of way. One world is enough for all of us. You know, one world not three, and obviously being where they are, where the residents of that island, they might be the third world, but then in the studio and in the places where they're living on the album, that's the first yeah. world, right? Correct. That's that's the UK, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And and that is that is that is the unfortunate part of a place like that is you've got this, you know, zillion-dollar studio, and I'm sure the you know the accommodations were fantastic, food was great, beaches. Perfect, but then you have these people who live in abject poverty. But hey, it's nice and you're by the beach. So, you know, what do you want me to do about it? Back to the studio. It kind of gives you a glimpse into Sting, you know, trying
0: to be a a more worldly person. And, you know, when he does something like Fragile to to help the rainforest eventually, Mm -hmm. you kind of see that didn't just come out of nowhere. You know, this is something that he's been,
1: you know, that's a part of him. And he's been recording and, and singing about this for a while now. Now it's it's interesting you say that because I've got a note. The last note I put on here is that this listening to this track, this could have been off of Dream of the Blue Turtles.
2: Yeah, I, I buy that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which, which we we should probably uh, we'll probably have to do that one uh, one of these days. Yeah, uh, that, it, that was just, big for us. Yeah, it just it just has that kind of beat and the you know kind of the the me- not the message shoved in your face, but the message in there that that definitely sounded like it could have been a track off his of his first solo record.
0: I'm with you there. That's good stuff. That's a good note. Okay, so now we get yeah. to the one, oh, yes. the one Andy Summers penned track, Omega Man, mm-hmm. that had the stylized Greek Omega for the O in Omega Man. To me, the bass on this sounds more like synchronicity. If there's anything kind of portending the next album, it's things based on this song to me.
1: Yeah, it's 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 that and it's but it but you know it's this it's the summer's track because it just doesn't sound all that different. And I did write driving bass sound differed and I put synchronicity too in yeah. parentheses. That's that's what it sounds like. So yeah, is this is this where we're going next. And then I wonder too like how much how much of this Sound on this record, did or on this track, did they kind of move forward with? And I like that. I like the off key guitar intro too. Well, this to me starts to sound more like the police, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. there's no
0: horns on it, it's the chorus is is interesting because it's like the background. Andy's in the background going, Oh, well, Sting's singing, Oh, Mega Man. He's doing oh through the whole thing, and he actually has a nice little solo interlude on here. I it's kind of hard to call it a solo, but I guess. If he wants to have a good yeah. solo, he has to write yeah. his own song. Sting's not going <laughs> to write one for him. But I actually like this. Surprisingly enough, I'm like, oh, here comes the Andy Summer song. Sting didn't let him make it real long. It's not even three minutes. I think it's the shortest song on the record. Interestingly enough, A&M wanted to make this the
1: lead single
0: off the record.
1: Real Well, I'm sure Mr. Uh, Mister Sting, yeah. Mr. Gordon Sumner. Mr. Sumner said, say, but... and... FW. Let me think. Let me take that under advisement. No. No.
0: But what's amazing is a lot of times when that happens, when the studio or the the record company is like, oh, this is the single, and the band's like, no, that's not it, it will be a B-side, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, it'll be a B-side. And technically, there were four singles off this record. So you would have thought eventually, if that was so good eventually they would have made that a b-side but but they never did i mean you would think it's short it's written by somebody else it would be a perfect b-side but nah, that didn't work out that way
1: yeah i am surprised that i've never i've never really heard this song before never really heard it mentioned until until we did this show because you're right you would have thought it would have been a b-side or something just because it's the only it's the only andy summer song on this whole record
0: that's right so i actually like it so kudos to you andy i, I guess mm-hmm. sting may not have liked it much but but I liked it. I, I thought it was good. I, I mean, I, I think it belongs on the album, that's for sure.
1: And I think it is cool because, I mean, I think even at this point in time, Sting could have vetoed anything. He could have been like, we're doing all of my songs. It doesn't matter. Either you do it or you get out. And the fact that, that this was included, it's just a little window into Andy Summers' mind. And it's nice that he gets one song on here, at least. Well, and, and Stuart said with our buddy Paul, you know, it it, it wasn't that... We didn't want
0: sting to write songs i mean we're trying our best to write songs but Mm -hmm. it's like oh sting every Uh, yeah okay secret okay that's good what else have you got have you got more yes he does okay great let's do it because it's not like they were prolific they're trying their best to write some songs but they knew it's not like right they, they didn't understand why their songs weren't going on the album they just
1: wanted to make sure they could get one or maybe two on there right yeah you you want you you understand who the who the workhorse is i get that but you at least want your voice heard i've got this i have this one idea can we please or you know one or two can we include it and and it also helps to not sound all the same also yeah absolutely especially when you've got three people Mm -hmm. you you gotta stretch a
0: little bit right so let's let's see what all they can do so i i surprisingly when i see it coming I'm like okay here it comes here comes the andy song <laughs> behind my idea. camel even though behind my camel won a grammy for like best instrumental rock tune mm-hmm. it's still weird you know it's kind <laughs> of a bizarre song
1: you know So, like, all right here it comes
0: oh you know what this is actually not so bad
1: better than mother yes off of synchronicity and that's exact when i got to this track that's what i was thinking i said okay here we go mm-hmm. and i was like I'm actually disappointed it wasn't weirder. Okay, well, I mean, it's a good song. I like it, but a little disappointed. I know you can get weirder, Andy. I know you can do it. Yes, he can. You know (laughs) he can. All right, so the fifth song on the second side, or
0: the tenth song, if you've got the CD Secret Journey. Yeah. Of course, inspired by Meeting with Remarkable Men by George Gurdjieff, Mm -hmm. another one we just read cover to cover. Correct. Back in our college days.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Overeducated (laughs) jackhole. no 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 and uh but no so i kind of like this one too it it starts with some synth sounds and then that fades the three of them sounding like the police like there's this Mm kind of odd synth opening to it and then it fades into the three of them jamming and then they they even sound a little bit like rush in this bit from that era at least that's what i picked up on but it's i guess the story is it's about you need to take a mystical journey that will make you a Holy man is kind of what the book and what the story and what this song is about. But but I like this one and it's it's not one that I knew very well.
1: Yeah, I would say the same thing. And th- this is kind of like Invisible Sun, where it starts off kind of like this is gonna be bad, but then the the chorus kind of picks up and it it's it's more positive than the beginning of the song. So yeah, I know I like it. I really hadn't heard it. I knew it was a single, and I I'd kind of heard it like in passing a couple times. To me, the the guitar parts has every breath you take in there. Like it's, it, it mm-hmm. has elements of it. So you can kind of see where, where we're going with that. Right. But no, I like it just, again, I think it sounds better in the context of the record. I, I agree with you there. I- I didn't know it was a single,
0: uh, and it actually got into like the top 30 in the U.S. It was only released like in the U.S. and Canada. It wasn't released in, in Europe and okay. the rest of the world necessarily as a single. It was Back With Darkness, which is the last song, which we'll get to. Uh, but it actually did get into the chart. But I, honestly, I never recalled hearing it on the radio. They no. did not make a video for it. Uh, which was the way to get to me back then, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and it until I owned the record. But, it, you know, there's a cool – so there's a break in the middle where it kind of goes back into that synth stuff. Yeah. There's no solo in there. Stuart gets to do some cowbell in here to crank it along. Uh, but then, you know, it, it fades out at the end, so it just kind of goes away at the end. It's a – I don't know. I think it's a good police pop song. I don't know if I would have chosen it as a single, but they did. And I think it did okay for them.
1: And it's, it's interesting too, because now you've got 11 songs on this record. Uh, What is the, it's only about 41 minutes or something like that. Okay. So so it's still relatively short. We're not, we're not into the 50 minutes, but usually like, and we talked about this before, like the last, like one or two are kind of a dumping ground on a lot of records where it's like, Oh, you know, here, take this. I don't think, I, I don't think that, that, is the case on this one i think i thought it was interesting that they put uh spirits in the material world and every little thing she does back to back you know you kind of went out super hot but this is not a bad track to have down at the bottom here to kind of keep the keep the momentum going
0: no that's that's right i i think it's actually pretty good little little song there and then it wraps with
1: darkness the last one and this mm-hmm. is the the Stuart solo right mm-hmm. it's very mellow and honestly i think it's a pretty nice way to wrap up the album i would say the same thing but my, when i heard this because i'd never heard this on before when i heard it i'm like this could this is not the police this could be anything this is mm. this is copeland you know it, he would go on to be a prolific composer this is him kind of i think starting to stretch his wings out a little bit because I mean, if you, if I played that beginning for you t- for anybody, nobody would say the police.
0: I guess that's fair. Yeah, it's it's a little different than certainly what they usually do. Mm-hmm. And some of the lyrics, I wish I never woke up this morning. Life was easy when it was boring. It's it's never it was never going to be a hit. It's only a little more than three minutes, which mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like half the songs on here are around three minutes, like like two forty five to three fifteen about four or so more or around the four minute mark and then there's a you know there's the one long one and yeah it's you know it, it's probably just copeland pushing 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 you got to put my stuff on there the music's good and the lyrics were good enough that sting didn't push back and say now i'm going to rewrite this like i did rehumanize yourself he decided no okay we'll, we'll we'll sing this out you know and so not a great track but i don't know it, somehow in this disjointed second side, because <laughs> the first three songs to me, Too Much Information, Rehumanize Yourself, One World Not Three, those with the horns, that's kind of of their era. It's very reggae, it's kind of where mm-hmm. they were in the world at the time, experimenting. But then you get to Omega Man, Secret Journey, and Darkness. You'd say, written by three different people, there's nothing that kind of keeps that together. And, and the sounds are different, and yet it still kind of makes a statement. And
1: I like these last three more than I like the first three. Interesting. On the second side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I w- I would say the same thing too. And I, I'm I'm kind of glad. I mean, I don't know how this. I don't know how it works. I mean, I know on the on the record, like Omega Man is credited to Andy Summers. Darkness is Copeland. Like, how much did Sting get involved with this? Did he do anything? Was he even around when they did this? I don't know. But I'm glad that I'm glad that they turned out the way that they did, because I think if you poke at it too much, it just sounds like everything else. So you're right. I kind of think that the first three on this one are not throwaway, but, you know, eh, and then it definitely comes into its own in the last three tracks, which does not happen a lot in, in a lot of records. Well,
0: that's right. I mean, usually it's what they call filler. Right? Yeah. It's like, we've got seven good songs, but we need nine or ten. Okay, well, then let's just record them, and then we can use those as B-sides. I, I think sometimes bands will choose to have a good song to go out with. Like, like they'll they'll save their sixth best song for the tenth spot, and then they'll fill in eight through ten right before <laughs> that, right? So they, they want to go out on a high note, but yeah, they know that side B is not that great, and not everybody listens all the way through. What do you think about this? I mean... I think I know the answer, but compared to Synchronicity, how do you rate this one?
1: I can't. I, I and I was thinking about that, and I was and I was talking to, to somebody else about this. I can't. I can't do it because for me, they're, they're, Synchronicity can do no wrong. I mean, it, it's the greatest album on the face of the earth. You know, know, to the whatever you know, however old I was, the nine-year-old me. And so I mean, it's a good record, but it will never be. It will never be as great as Synchronicity to me.
0: Of course, you know, it's not even about sales. It's, it may not even be about the quality of the songs, though, in my opinion, the quality of the songs on Synchronicity are better, at least overall, I think that Sting, I think that Andy's song on this record, Omega Man is better than Mother. Mm -hmm. And I think Darkness is better than Miss Mm -hmm. Gradenko. So the Solo credits that the other guys got are better on this record than they are on Synchronicity. But you can't deny that time in our lives. In the summer of 83, when we're 10 years old and we're buying records with our own money. Right. And we had to have Synchronicity. And Every Breath You Take breaks the record for eight straight weeks at number one. And, oh, by the way, King of Pain's on there, too. And so Synchronicity, too. And so Wrapped Around Your Finger. And so is T in the Sahara. It's just... It hit me at a certain time that even if I listen to Ghost of the Machine 10 times a day every day for the next 10
1: years, it can't imprint on me the way right.
0: synchronicity. Right.
1: Yeah, it, it, it literally can do no wrong. Even if you told me, you know, it was it was awful. They can't, you know, yeah. you could make it you could definitely make a case for the early police being better because that was their original sound but i just i you can't i'm sorry you can't it's like the it's like the argument with ben Halen's 1984 you cannot talk me out of that because it was such a huge record for me as a child can't do it absolutely no i you know the hardcore Pink Floyd
0: fans who were 70 years old and kind of grew up going to see them play in London and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When you get to, you know, momentary lapse of reason, like, that's crap. It's David Gilmore's solo, and there's no Roger. And you're not talking about how the whole world's going to
1: end. And, that's that's and why like, I have my fingers in my ear. La, 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 yeah. la, 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 la. You can't tell me. <laughs>
0: Sorry. You know, I, I was a teenager then, you know, and right. learning to fly was on MTV. And when they did the Delicate Sound of Thunder movie, there's I Rachel Fury.
1: It singing with david gilmore right watched it 138 times on vhs exactly there's a mop-haired guy pratt by the way (laughs) and and i'm like no i'm sorry that that's
0: awesome that's still pink floyd to me and that's what got me into going back to listen to all the old pink floyd just like today there's gonna be a kid who hears synchronicity for the first time. You know, like a teenage kid. Like, whoa, who are these guys? The police. I got to go check them out. Ah, good times. Good times. Good times. Well, that wraps up episode number 95 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast on the police's Ghost of the Machine. Released on October 2nd, 1981, so we're just shy of its 41st birthday here. And I gotta tell you, I needed it. After listening to Alice and Jane's Dirt over and over for that show, I needed something happy. I needed something uplifting. I needed something from my childhood that I know would put me in the right frame of mind. And the police are good for it every time. With the big hits, like Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, Invisible Sun and spirits in the material world. Not to mention the upbeat reggae going out throughout that whole album, even the horns, which got a little annoying to me in some parts. Well, you know what? It still picked me up. It still had me grooving a little bit around my house here, uh, and I was happy to do that show. So I hope you enjoy that, and I hope you go out and listen to that record when you get the chance. I also hope that all you US fans are going to be catching Nick Mason's saucer full of secrets on their US tour, which is already underway as we record this, right? September and October, going across the nation. Go get your tickets to that. Also, go to PantheonPodcast.com backslash Nick Mason and sign up for a chance to win the VIP experience, including two front row seats to see Nick and the boys. And if you go to the Indianapolis Show on Friday, October 14th, you can come see us, and I hope you do, because we'd love to see you. We'll be there, and there will be more details to come on that. Now, as usual, folks, we want to know did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. We love to hear from you. So email us. We're at uglyamericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You can also DM or tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf, or at actionjack72. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram. And we really appreciate it. Not only do you download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast be it Apple, be it iTunes, Spotify. Good Pods is very good to us and independent podcasters, so check out Good Pods. But really, anywhere that you get your podcast, please, if you're thinking about it, not only do you download and subscribe, but... Give us a positive review. We want to hear what you think about the show. And when you put out those positive reviews, it just helps us find more rock and roll fans like yourselves. we got to say thank you to Pantheon Pods for their ongoing support. we got to say thank you to RareVinyl.com, our gracious sponsors. And please go. If you're a rock and roll fan and you're always looking for something special, go to RareVinyl.com. Use the code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and get 10% off not just your first order, but every order that you make with them. They ship all around the world. You can almost guarantee to find what you want, and if not, well, just hang in there. They'll get it eventually. They know what they're doing. They've got a great team, and we are very appreciative of rarevinyl.com. Now, next week, as you may have heard, as we have alluded to throughout this show, yes, we're going to have Guy and Gary, the rock-on tours from Nick Mason's Full of Secrets. They're going to come on our show to talk a little bit about what it means to them to play these amazing old Pink Floyd songs, what it's like to interact with Nick, maybe talk a little bit about their show as well. We're so excited to have them on, and I can't wait to share that conversation with you. So you'll have to tune in, but if you download or you subscribe wherever you get your podcast, then you'll be sure not to miss it. So until next week, my friends, to all of you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. Hey, guys. This is Kenan Thompson. I have a problem with you. Yes, you. None of y'all told me that AutoTrader has millions of new and used cars that I can shop from home. I thought we were friends. I put smiles on your face, but I'm not smiling. No one told me that with AutoTrader, a dealer can deliver cars to my home or that I could shop by price on AutoTrader. No one. Consider this friendship that you just learned we had officially over. Finally, it's easy. AutoTrader.